Well, a very good morning, everyone. Um, winter, she's on her way, hey? I'm not a wintry kind of guy. I prefer summer. Um, but I do realize that without winter, we don't get cherries. So winter can come, and then we will have cherries when summer arrives again. So that's all good. Um, a very warm welcome. Uh, really wonderful to be together. Uh, if you haven't been with us over the last few weeks, uh, we are into the fifth chapter of Daniel. So if you do have your Bibles, you can open them to the fifth chapter of Daniel. It's been a wonderful journey, so if you do want to catch up, you're welcome to go to liberty.org.za, and you can find our preachers from the last few weeks on there. Daniel chapter 5. Are we all right there, Dan? Are we we good? Sounding good? Do I need to move? No, there we go. Good job. Cool. Daniel chapter 5. Now, a little bit of context for our Daniel chapter 5. There is a mention of the vessels, uh, which is spoken about in Daniel. Uh, And if we look at Daniel 1, it says, In the third year of the reign of King Jehoiakim of Judah, King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon came to Jerusalem and besieged it. The Lord let King Jehoiakim of Judah fall into his power, as well as some of the vessels of the house of God. These he brought to the land of Shinar and placed the vessels in the treasury of his gods. Now these vessels throughout scripture, uh, we find them mentioned and just really in beautiful places. We know of Bezalel, I don't know if you remember him, God anointed him, uh, and Oliab, I think was the other guy's name, and gave them these incredible abilities to create all the beautiful things for the tabernacle. Part of that were the vessels of gold and silver. Uh, We see that cool story, unless you were someone from Jericho, a really cool story about Jericho, uh, where the Israelites march around, uh, they pray, they blow the trumpets, and then the walls fall. Uh, Part of that was actually capturing some vessels, uh, which then God said, those are mine, put them in the tabernacle, those belong to me. Uh, We see Moses, who when the Israelites were at war, uh, he'd hold a trumpet in the one hand and vessels in the other hand, Uh, and so an incredibly powerful symbol of just the presence of God uh, and those vessels being uh, representative of something more than just cool mugs or cool bowls. Uh, We see Solomon when he builds this elaborate temple for God um, and he builds... It it talks about Solomon's, uh, all of his cups and plates and that were all made of gold because it says silver was worth nothing in his time. That's how much gold they'd captured from everybody else. He's like, I don't want anything made of silver. We're going to make everything out of gold. Uh, And so we see uh, this representation of an Israel who is blessed by God such that silver is worth nothing to them. And so everything within the temple, everything within Solomon's house, all made of gold, and it's these cups and these bowls and a whole bunch of other stuff, candlesticks, a whole bunch of stuff. And so when the king of Babylon, when Nebuchadnezzar comes to attack Judah and Israel and takes them into captivity, he also raids the temple and takes all of their possessions, takes all of these vessels, takes them along to Babylon and puts them in his God's houses and the treasury of his gods, which, as we will see later on, not a grand idea, but it is something that he does. We see Jeremiah prophesying uh, in Jeremiah 29, For thus says the Lord, Only when Babylon's 70 years are completed will I visit you, and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. 
For surely I know the plans that I have for you. We love that verse, right? Surely I know the plans that I have for you. Uh, the context of that is captivity. So if we do want to like throw that verse out, we need to recognize that there are conditions that come with it. For surely I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Plans for your welfare, not for your harm, to give you a future with hope. Then when you call upon me, captivity, then when you call upon me and come and pray to me, I will hear you. When you search for me, you will find me if you seek me with all your heart. I will let you find me, says the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I have driven you, says the Lord, and I will bring you back to this place from which I sent you into exile. And part of that uh, promise is that these vessels will be returned back to the temple. And so it's symbolic to Israel that when these vessels are returned back to the temple, that God has actually fulfilled his promise. Because if we think about it, it's very easy for the Babylonian king to go, hey, you guys can go back where we're keeping all your gold, right? But God's saying, you know what, my hand is so powerfully in this that when I bring you back, I'm bringing my gold back too. I'm bringing everything that belongs to me. And so we see this idea of this mighty sovereign hand of God. And so Daniel 5, as we get it into now, if there's one context or one idea that we're going to gather from this, is the sovereign hand of God. Daniel 5. So King Belshazzar made a great festival for a thousand of his lords, and he was drinking wine in the presence of the thousands. Under the influence of the wine, and so he'd had a bit, Belshazzar commanded that they bring in, now's the bad idea, bring in the vessels of gold and silver that his father Nebuchadnezzar had taken out of the temple in Jerusalem. Why? So that the king and his lords, his wives and his concubines, might drink from them. Bad idea. So they brought in the vessels of gold and silver that had been taken out of the temple, the house of God in Jerusalem, and the king and his lords, his wives, and his concubines drank from them. They drank the wine and praised who? Not the God from which they had taken it. They praised the gods of gold and silver, bronze, iron, wood, and stone. Immediately. The fingers of a human hand appeared and began writing on the plaster of the wall of the royal palace next to the lampstand. The king was watching the hand as it wrote. Then the king's face turned pale and his thoughts terrified him. His limbs gave way and his knees knocked together. The king cried aloud, coming from this cocky king, bring me the cups, pale, fearful, knees knocking together. The king cried aloud to bring in the enchanters, the Chaldeans, the diviners. And the king said to the wise men of Babylon, whoever can read this writing and tell me its interpretation shall be clothed in purple, have a chain of gold around his neck and rank third in the kingdom. Then all the king's wise men came in, but they could not read the writing or tell the king the interpretation. Then King Belshazzar became greatly terrified, and his face turned pale, and his lords were perplexed. The queen, when she heard the discussion of the king and his lords, came into the banqueting hall, and the queen said, Thank the Lord for our wives. O king, live forever. Do not let your thoughts terrify you or your face grow pale. There is a man in your kingdom who is endowed with the spirit of the holy gods. In the days of your father, 
He was found to have enlightenment, understanding, and wisdom like the wisdom of the gods. Your father, King Nebuchadnezzar, made him chief of the magicians, enchanters, Chaldeans, and diviners because an excellent spirit, knowledge, and understanding to interpret dreams, dreams, explain riddles, and solve problems were found in this Daniel, whom the king named Belteshazzar. Now let Daniel be called, and he will give the interpretation. Then Daniel was brought in before the king, and the king said to Daniel, You are Daniel, one of the exiles of Judah, whom my father the king brought from Judah. I have heard of you, that a spirit of the gods is in you, and that enlightenment, understanding, and excellent wisdom are found in you. Now the wise men, the enchanters, have been brought in before me to read this writing and to tell me its interpretation, but they were not able to give the interpretation of the matter. But I've heard that you can give interpretations and solve problems. Now, if you are able to read the writing and tell me its interpretation, you shall be clothed in purple, have a chain of gold around your neck, and rank third in the kingdom. Then Daniel answered in the presence of the king, let your gifts be for yourself, or give your rewards to somebody else. Mine says exclamation mark. Matt highlighted over the last few weeks how wise Daniel was with all of these kings and how respectful he was. He loses it a little bit here. We'll see. Nevertheless, I will read the writing to the king and let him know the interpretation. O king, the most high God gave your father Nebuchadnezzar kingship, greatness, glory, and majesty. And because of the greatness that he gave him, all peoples, nations, and languages trembled and feared before him. He killed those he wanted to kill. He kept alive those he wanted to keep alive. He honored those he wanted to honor, and he degraded those he wanted to degrade. But when his heart was lifted up and his spirit was hardened so that he acted proudly, he was deposed from his kingly throne and his glory was stripped from him. He was driven from human society and his mind was made like that of an animal. His dwelling was with the wild asses and he was fed grass like oxen and his body was bathed with the dew of heaven. Until he learnt that the most high God has sovereignty over the kingdom of mortals and sets over it whomever he will. And you, Belshazzar, his son, have not humbled your heart even though you knew all this. Exclamation mark. You have exalted yourself against the Lord of heaven. Exclamation mark. The vessels of his temple have been brought in before you. You and your lords, your wives and your concubines have been drinking wine from them. You can imagine how indignant he is. You have praised the gods of silver and gold, of bronze, iron, wood and stone, which do not see or hear or know, but the God in whose power is your very breath and to whom belong all your ways you have not honored. So from his presence and hand was sent, and this writing was inscribed, and this is the writing that was inscribed. Mini, mini, tekai, and parson. This is the interpretation of the matter. Mini, God has numbered the days of your kingdom and brought it to an end. Tekal, you have been weighed on the scales and found wanting. Perez, your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. Then Pelshazzar gave the command, and Daniel was clothed in purple, a chain of gold was put around his neck, and a proclamation was made concerning him that he should rank third in the kingdom. That very night, Belshazzar, the Chaldean king, was killed, and Darius the Mede received the kingdom, being about 62 years old. 
And so that humbling of Nebuchadnezzar, after he raises his heart up against God and God turns him like a wild beast, his response after that, when that period was over, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven and my reason returned to me. I blessed the Most High and I praised and honored the one who lives forever. This is the Babylonian king. For his sovereignty is an everlasting sovereignty. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing. And he does what he wills with the host of heaven and the inhabitants of the earth. There is no one who can stay his hand or say to him, what are you doing? At that time, my reason returned to me and my majesty and splendor were restored to me for the glory of my kingdom. My counselors and my lords sought me and I was reestablished over my kingdom and still more greatness was added to me. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the king of heaven for all his works are truth, his ways are justice, and he is able to bring low those who walk in pride. Not realizing that this declaration would be brought upon his very own Either son or grandson, it's a little bit dicey as to what um, Belshazzar actually was in relation to Nebuchadnezzar, but there was clearly a link. But that God would bring low his very own offspring who would walk in pride. And so we see the contrast of two kings, right? Nebuchadnezzar, the first king of Babylon, Belshazzar, the last king of Babylon. When he falls, it gets handed over to Persia and the Medes, uh, and so no longer is Babylon then the power of the world. But we see this contrast of one person, one of the kings, falling on his face, lifting his heart in pride first, but then when he falls on his face, his reason returns to him as he goes, you know what, actually I'm not God, this is God. We then see Belshazzar, who doesn't get the opportunity to repent because of his hardness of heart. And so the explanation here is that acts of pride, he says his hardness of heart was against the Lord of heaven. That is actually the issue with pride in our lives. You, you know somebody who's proud, right? It's not you, it's the other person. You know what proud people look like, right? They're never in the mirror, they're always somewhere else, but we know what they're like. And the funny thing is that what Scripture's telling us, and Daniel's telling us, is that pride is not so much against us, even though prideful people, it's not so great to be in their presence. What Daniel's saying is that pride, the real issue with pride, is that it's against the Lord of heaven. Because the moment we think we're something, we're declaring that God is not that thing. So the moment we think we've arrived, we're basically telling ourselves we've actually replaced God in that area of sovereignty. And so suddenly it makes us, it makes me realize that pride is actually incredibly, incredibly bad in the presence of God. And it makes me realize that, and I'm sure you would have heard it over the years, that as churches we kind of pick the sins, right? This one we're going to nail to the cross. This one we're going to expose publicly. This sin, unacceptable. What Daniel's saying is that actually at the root of all of this is pride. That's the one that actually needs to be hung on the cross. Pride is actually the sin that we need to bring out. And I'm not saying publicly we all should come and uh, declare our pride amongst one another. But we really should be challenging one another. When our pride is beginning to take hold of our lives. The problem with the world 
is the world affirms pride. Yes? The world says when you believe something, you need to parade it. Get a flag. Those who make great wealth, we parade them around like these are our heroes. Because of their great exploits, even if their rockets explode. We replace God and his throne with either other human beings or most of the time with ourselves. And Daniel's saying this is an issue of the heart. That's where it starts. We can change our actions, but actually deep within is the real issue. Belshazzar, ironically, means Bel protects. And so the name of his God was Bel. And so Bel will protect me until the writing on the wall came and took him out. What verse 20 says, if I can find it quickly. uh, But when his heart was lifted up and his spirit was hardened so that he acted proudly, he was disposed. And Daniel's response to him was that you knew that these things had happened to your father. What he's saying is that there's an understanding that we have, right? And so we have people come and open up the word of God to us. We spend time in the scriptures. We speak with the Lord. Understanding enters our mind. We then have a heart response to that information. What Daniel's saying is you hardened your heart. You knew the truth. You have no excuse. You knew the truth. But you chose in your heart to oppose the fact that God was sovereign And he says what then happens is your spirit then gets hardened. And once you have a hardened spirit, you can speak truth to people as much as you want. It is casting pearls before swine, as the scriptures say. And so it's easy for us to look at other people, right, and go, that person's hardened their hearts. The question that this is posing is that you have to ask yourself, where has my spirit been hardened? Where have I hardened and turned my heart away from God with what he has given me in understanding? And most of that understanding comes through the preached word, right? Faith comes by hearing. Either faith comes by hearing or unbelief comes by hearing. We hear it, but we don't want to believe it. Lord, it's other people who suffer from pride. Not me, I'm saved. Really? Humility involves the head. He knew and the heart. And that determined how the spirit was going to respond to God going forward. It calluses us. We get hardened. Those of you who gym a lot, yes, calluses. Hard work. You know, I used to work with metal. There was a time I could take pots out of the oven, and you know, that's cool because I'm really hardcore. I got a paper cut the other day. I was like, what has happened? But the nice thing is I don't have calluses anymore. But what happens is that when your hands are working hard, they get callous because they're trying to protect your fingers because they know you're not going to stop doing this work. But what happens when we disobey the Lord and disobey what's received into our heads, our hearts become calloused. It makes it harder for truth to get into us. And so it's easier for us to go, I don't want to hear that. I don't want to hear that. I don't want to hear that. And what God's saying is that actually we have to lift our eyes to heaven so that our reason will return to us. 
We have to ask the Spirit to soften our hearts. Remember the promise to Ezekiel? I'll take out your heart of stone and I'll give you a heart of flesh. I'll soften it because God knows we can't do it. But what he's saying is that if we lift our eyes to heaven, let reason return to us. Holy Spirit, take out this heart of stone. Give me a heart of flesh and give me a new spirit. One that's not hardened against you. And all of us have to be in constant prayer and asking God for that. This morning at prayer, Matt prayed, where he was praying for me, for us at the meeting, and prayed that our minds and our hearts would be open to the Lord. And as he said that, I was like, thank you, Lord. Because that's what's required. Our, our heads and our hearts, our minds, have to be open to God. Some of us are like, I'm not intellectual, and I just do everything by the heart. Fine, your heart's probably hardened. Others of us are like, I'm not the feely kind of guy. You know, I'm all the intellectual guy. Our minds are probably hardened. And so what the scripture is doing is stop looking at Nebuchadnezzar. Stop looking at Belshazzar. They're examples for us. The question is, where are you and I? Does God need to make us go and eat grass before we'll repent and actually hand over pride and say, you know what, God, you are Lord of my life. Or are we going to continue in pride? Are we going to continue to establish our own little thrones in our lives? Or will we say, you know what, God, you actually do whatever you want with humankind. Why did you allow this thing to happen, Lord? I do not understand, but I'm not going to tell you how to run this world. I'm going to let you run your kingdom. I'm going to submit myself to you. I'm going to ask you to soften my heart. I'm going to ask you to soften my mind. I'm going to ask you to help me to submit under your authority. We live in a generation that is allergic to authority. We don't like it. Well, government mustn't tell me what to do. My husband mustn't tell me what to do. My elders mustn't tell me what to do. My life group leader is not going to tell me what to do. And we're allergic to authority. And the ultimate end of that is that we're allergic to God's authority. Throughout the scriptures, the apostles' teachings, that's what God's calling us to understand. He says, go, change the world, submit yourselves to the apostles' teachings. Because they're going to teach you throughout all these thousands and thousands of years what I've been trying to reveal to mankind. I'm going to ask them to explain it to you post the death and resurrection of Jesus. Because stuff changes there. And so he gives us the New Testament to read through. And one of the accusations is that in the end times, we're going to rebel against authority. We're going to rebel against the authority of our parents. And what kind of a generation are we in now? It must be close to some kind of end times because there is immense hatred towards authority. And God's saying, the authority is God-given. He says to Israel, submit yourselves to Babylon. Submit yourselves to Nebuchadnezzar. I was listening through Jeremiah this last week. Over and over, Jeremiah says, God is coming for you with Nebuchadnezzar. Submit yourselves. All the other prophets come around and go, no, it's going to be fine. God's going to rescue us. We're going to repent and everything's going to be fine. Jeremiah says, that's not the case. So they chuck him in prison. God says, if you do not submit to Nebuchadnezzar, who I am sending, I will come for you. You will die by the sword. You will die by pestilence. Submit to the authority that I am giving you. And we don't like that. Israel does not like that. Israel is like, Lord, but you're our God. Right? Whilst worshipping other idols. And so we're in a generation that all of our culture is telling us authority is bad for you. Don't submit to it. God is saying, number one, my authority you will submit to. But secondly, submit to governance that I give you in this world. 
It's not perfect. It's sinful. It's never going to be perfect until our ultimate leader returns, our ultimate king comes back and finally leads with righteousness. Finally, no more load shedding because he will be our light. Thank the Lord. That's the one I'm looking for. And the more I think about it, the more annoyed I get with our current corrupt leadership. But then I'm like, God, I've got to submit myself to you. When we submit to this governance, we submit to him. When we submit to our rubbish boss, we submit to God. When we submit to our evil whatever, we submit to God because he has allowed it to be. But when we submit, we find ourselves in the mighty hand of God. Who promoted Daniel with this interpretation? Who gave him the purple clothes? Belshazzar? Not a chance. God was like, I'm going to give you this interpretation. Belshazzar is going to give you purple clothing because that's apparently a cool thing. And he's going to be ranked third in the kingdom. Daniel's like, keep your rubbish. I don't want that stuff. God's like, no, no, I'm giving it to you. I'm going to give it to you anyway. Daniel wasn't vying for permission. And the problem with us is that our pride in this generation works itself out predominantly in selfish human ambition. That's what our, pro- our main issue is, human ambition. What does that look like? Bigger companies, better jobs, more money, bigger house, right? Climb the corporate ladder, establish our own little empires. What are we doing? We're building our own little Tower of Babel. We're going to get to heaven our way. And our generation is prized for ambition, yes? Ask Elon Musk, because he's our hero. Why? Because amidst all the odds, he's achieved. And we, we measure that as our number one kind of human picture. That's what we want to all attain. Some of you are going, I don't want that life. Praise the Lord. But our issue is that we're actually putting human beings, we're putting self on the throne. We're sitting back going, bring the Lord's vessels. I'm going to drink from those because I am the great I am. That's what Belshazzar is saying. I'm the God around here. I'm the God of gold. I'll drink from these things. And then goes and worships the God of gold. I mean, that's just messed up. I don't really understand that. But what Daniel's trying to help us understand is that God's sovereignty is what we need in our lives. Because his sovereignty is an everlasting sovereignty. Your rubbish boss won't be your rubbish boss for all of eternity. That day will come when that ends. But the sovereignty of God, that is eternal. That is perfect. And that is where the blessing in all of our lives comes from. Not from Belshazzar. It is not your boss who gives you the promotion. It is God. Yeah, but my boss is so stingy. Then ask God for your promotion, not your boss. God is able to turn hearts. He's able to turn this cocky king, white-faced, knocking knees. Right? You're not going to do that, but God can do that. Because he does what he wants with everybody. That's what he says. And Nebuchadnezzar finally stood it. Understood it after months of eating grass. Anyone? Imagine eating grass. I know there's some people who choose to almost eat grass. <laughs> Bless them. But there's a humility. This guy comes with long claws, long hair. He's supposed to be the shizners in Babylon. 
So there's very little record of this in Babylon, and you can understand why, right? Nebuchadnezzar cleans it all up, and then he's like, take all those records out. We're not going to be remembering me for that stuff, okay? <laughs> but then he does worship the Lord, the king that Daniel serves, and suddenly makes him the great king. And the question that I think God is asking us to consider today is what areas of our lives have we become like Belshazzar? And we're going, you know what, Lord, in this area, I'm just going to drink of your holy vessels because I'm going to determine what this looks like. Our culture is taking the ways of the Lord and saying, we don't want your rule and reign. We don't want your limitations. If I want to be a girl, I'm going to be one. Don't give me your limitations. And then we expand that into every area of our lives. Yeah, but those people, I mean, that's just stupid. Really? Let's just pull that down into our lives and find out which areas of our lives are we saying, you know what, Lord? I'm not going to submit to your ways in this. Our kids, when they don't submit to parental authority, and we're just like, ha-ha, they're being cute. They're not being cute. They're rebelling against God. And so we have to, in this culture, learn to correct our children into the ways of the Lord's without us being the bad guys. And so what do we do? We try to be their friends, and now we'll love them into, they're not going to be loved just into submission like that. They need to be told that this does not please the Lord. Honor your mother and your father. Because if we don't, they're going to begin to harden their minds. They're going to begin to harden their hearts. And that's one small little dynamic in our lives. But then we grow up and become adults who do not submit to our father and our mother, do not submit to God, harden our hearts, harden our minds, and wonder why we don't have the blessing of the Lord in our lives. But I'm saved. Yeah. But there's a way, an expression of submission to God, which actually results in a way that we live. Daniel's righteousness was not a theoretical righteousness. Daniel was so righteous. Daniel was so faithful. He didn't just sit in the room and be faithful. He lived a life of faithfulness. Because his mind understood the sovereignty of God. His heart submitted to God. And then his life flowed from that place. So what he did with his finances, he submitted to God. Why did he pay his taxes? Because God says, submit to your authority. Pay your taxes. Not a cent more, but pay your taxes. He says, children, submit to your parents. Why? Because in it is blessing. It's the first command with the promise. Why wouldn't you? I want my children blessed. So how do I get them blessed? Obey your mother and your father. But sure, we've got to learn to love, right? We've got to learn to become more like Jesus and all these things. But the question for us is to say, how much of our lives have we begun to shape with our own self-sufficiency? We are enough. We don't need the Lord. Do you know, a huge sign for us about our self-sufficiency is our prayer life. Analyze your own prayer life, and that will give you a huge sign as to how much you truly are self-sufficient. If you don't need God for the smallest thing in your life, you're beginning to take that little cup and drink of it yourself. Don't worry, Lord, I've got this one covered. Don't worry, Lord. I don't need you in this one. 
And we begin to grow and grow and grow. And eventually we're like, Lord, I don't need you in my finances because now that you've blessed them, I've got some things I want to spend them on, Lord. So this can either be an incredibly hard preach for us to receive, or it can get us to a place of going, Lord, this is, I'm not going to harden my heart on this one. I'm going to acknowledge my pride before you. I'm going to ask you to highlight in my area where I have become self-sufficient and where I've said, you know what, I'll be Belshazzar in this one. I've got this one covered, Lord. Because every one of us are going to face a day when we will be weighed. And I wonder what the response of the Lord is going to be. You've been weighed. What's the response? You've been found wanting? Or is it going to be, you've been weighed. Welcome, my good and faithful servant. We are all going to be weighed. And my prayer is that God would weigh us like this more regularly now that we would make the adjustments. That he gives us people around us to go, hey, can we have a coffee? Code for, ooh, probably got something to tell me. <laughs> and then we sit down and look, brother, I love you, but I noticed this thing. And often for the preacher, do you know why people hate preaching? Because you reveal a lot of what's in your heart when you preach, right? And so getting feedback of a preacher is incredibly helpful. So you know when you said this, the way you said it makes me think this might be going on in your life. How's about we talk about that? Would we open ourselves to this fellowship and go, please help me now to weigh what's going on in my life before I have to do it before the throne? Because that's going to be an incredibly awkward situation for us. We don't get out of that one. We get to humble ourselves now. We get to have brothers and sisters who love us to challenge us on these things. Because I want to be like Nebuchadnezzar. I don't want to have to eat the grass, but I do want to be able to go, ah, I look to heaven and my reason returns me. What am I thinking? Let me adjust this thing. Let me put this thing in place. Thank you for loving me so much that you were willing to buy me this coffee. Thanks for that. And that you were willing to challenge me on these things. Can we be a community that's open to one another like that? Many of us haven't been raised that way. My family was amazing. We were a very clean household. We swept everything under the carpet, never spoke about it. Woke up the next morning like everything was sweet. Not helpful. Gregan's family, complete opposite, right? I remember the first time they had a family issue that they had to deal with. And I sat there, this thing came up at dinner. I mean, we spoke about it for the whole of dinner, right? It was the strangest meal I've ever eaten. Anyway, we speak this thing through, and I'm like, okay, we get to bed. I'm, I'm just emotionally exhausted. Go to sleep, wake up in the morning. I'm like, sweet deal. Start breakfast. I start talking about it again. I'm like, have we not dealt with this? And so all of us will find ourselves between those two extremes. We don't talk about this, or we're going to talk about this until Jesus returns. <laughs> we're going to need to find ourselves somewhere in the middle that we are willing to challenge one another on these things so that when Jesus does return, there are not still issues in our lives. Can we commit ourselves to that? Is that easy? No. It's going to be a lot easier to do that now. And I can guarantee you that the people in this room love you. They don't want to challenge you on these things because they want to rip you down and pull you down. Why? Because they're not the ones who pull you down or demote you or promote you. Jesus does. 
We need to be a fellowship that can have robust conversations to trust the Lord that He would promote us in His due time. But our big issue is that our promotion usually means bigger paycheck, bigger responsibilities. Jesus says it's actually the other way around in my kingdom. You want to be big? You be small. You want to lead? You serve. So if you want to be promoted, in many ways you're asking the Lord for demotion in His kingdom. But we'd rather have the bigger paycheck, right? Can we as a community commit ourselves to being open to brothers and sisters challenging us? And what that means is you probably need to get into a life group. You probably need to find two or three people that you truly trust your life to and say, I need you to challenge me on these things. That has probably been the most profound thing in my life is having five people who speak deeply into my life and I'm open with them. Anything is on the table that needs to be challenged and spoken about. Nothing is hidden. Do you have people like that, that your life is open to? Because our lives will one day be opened. And I'd rather just have all of those cobwebs and stuff sorted out now. I desire to remind you, says Jude, Jesus' brother, Though you are fully informed that the Lord who once for all saved the people out of the land of Egypt afterwards destroyed those who did not believe, and the angels who did not keep their own position but left their proper dwelling, he has kept in eternal chains in deepest darkness for the judgment of the great day. Likewise, Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities, which in the same manner as they indulged in sexual immorality and pursued unnatural lust, serve as an example by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. Yet in the same way, these dreamers also defile the flesh, reject authority, and slander the glorious one. If then there is any encouragement in Christ, any consolation from love, any sharing in the Spirit, any compassion and sympathy, make my joy complete, writes Paul. Be of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but the opposite, in humility, regard others as better than yourselves. Let each of you look not to your own interests, but to the interests of others. Let the same mind be in you that was in Jesus Christ, who though he was in the form of God, Jesus did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited. How dare we? But he emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, being born into human likeness. And being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Would you be obedient to Jesus to the point of death? I mean, I'm not even obedient to Jesus to the point of the end of my salary. I'm at the point of death. Therefore, God also highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name. Who exalted him? God did, because he humbled himself. It's the opposite way around. Therefore God also highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bend in heaven and on earth and under the earth. Every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed me, not only in my presence, much more now in my absence, work out your own salvation like Belshazzar should have with fear and trembling. For it is God who is at work in you. God is at work in you, liberty. God is at work in you. Enabling you both to will that you're going to actually want 
and to work for his good pleasure. Can I ask us, I'm going to push this and make it five minutes. Kids are going to make a noise. It's going to be disruptive. Can I ask us for five minutes to be by ourselves with the Lord and let him disturb your thoughts? Let him raise stuff up. What do we like to do? Be distracted. Lord, I'm going to spend time with you. Woo, I forgot the lamb. Because we don't want to hear what he has to say to us. We're going to spend five minutes. Meditation was a practice of the ancients, which got us to just shut off this world and say, God, you do speak. Let me just get the noise out of my head. And this may be awkward for some of us. You may not be used to this. You may only hear nothing, just static. That's okay. We're growing in a practice of quietening down our lives and letting God speak to us. And if he convicts you, it's not me. It's the Lord. If the Lord convicts you, let's make adjustments. Let's make adjustments. Five minutes. Can someone keep a timer for me? Thanks, Rich. For five minutes, let's be quiet. Try and not let the kids distract you and ask the Lord to disturb your hearts and your mind.